0: Hello, this is Tom Pasello, the ROI Guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast. My guest today is Nathan Jackson. He's the Managing Director of Presentify, creating visual communication solutions that captivate, engage, and get results. Nathan is a veteran entrepreneur, biz dev exec, and creative professional for JPMorgan Chase, Cybersource, Bottomline Line Tech, and more. We've collaborated with Nathan on visual presentations for our own solutions. And he's here today to share his visual storytelling expertise. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks, Tom. Excellent. Well, it's timely that we're having this discussion because digital selling is now an absolute requirement. Mm. Work from home, travel restrictions. You've got to grab and keep a buyer's attention now but do that remotely instead of sitting across from them at a table. So, our discussion is so timely. So, one of the things is when you look at a typical sales PowerPoint, I mean, you still see so many traditional slides with a lot of text and bullets. And this is going to be one of the prime ways that people are going to be running these remote meetings, right? Is still from these powerpoints. Um, why doesn't that work? And why are visuals better? You know, why do we need compelling visuals?
1: Yeah. It's a great question, Tom. Um, Unfortunately, we still see it too many times and whether we are back to -to face-to-face selling or remain for some time in terms of remote, we have to consider who we're talking with and whether they can see us on video or whether we're just communicating orally. We may be sharing screens and therefore we want to be able to put some information that they can audience can see and will hopefully resonate with them and the story that I'm telling. The challenge is that many people start with PowerPoint because of how they've learned and worked with it in the past. And even in school, we're we're taught it. And we use just that little bit of basic text and bullet points. So I think from history or from our experience, we're perhaps not that great at understanding how to put on screen, something that's going to really resonate with the audience. So really what, what we're talking about, what we're trying to help clients do is to, to think about how you can simplify the words that are typically on screen mm-hmm. and replace them with other things which are more visual. And they may be icons, images, photographs, etc. because our brains have the ability to process visuals far, far more quickly than they do with purely text. And it's actually 60,000 times faster. So by switching from text to suitable images, which help connect what the presenter's saying and what the audience is seeing is going to improve the communication. And that's really what we want to do. We want to engage with the audience, and especially as we're remote, because they are relying on our voice and the guidance and what they see to help understand and communicate and move to the point that is gonna achieve your objective. So it is absolutely the right time now that as we are moving much more to the remote presentations that we consider what we're actually sharing on screen.
0: Completely agree. Now, how is it still a challenge that companies and many of the ones we, we work with um, I've seen 150 page PowerPoint decks. Um, again, a lot of bullets on the screen. Why is there a resistance to change, do you think, when everything that you said is makes sense? And I think we all realize that visuals are much more appealing and compelling. However, uh, you know, If I were to tell you the three or four decks that I'll see today in different meetings um, of people presenting to me, they're going to be laden with text and bullets and exactly the opposite of what you and I would consider a best mm. practice. Why that resistance to change?
1: Well, again, I think it, for me, it's not necessarily resistance to change per se. It's more that companies are not quite sure what they should move to. And that comes again from the past. People who create content, and it may be the the technical writers, um, the sales engineers, the product marketers, those people have a wealth of information and knowledge which they can share. And the challenge sometimes is to wade through that and figure out what are the key aspects that need to be communicated And this is where there's that um, friction, I suppose, where there's a sales team that wants to communicate something in a way that they know that it's gonna support their sale. Um, At the same time, you've got the brand owners in an organization that want to ensure that all the money that's been spent on the branding and the marketing and getting that, that, that message out there is done in a consistent way. And so sometimes, not always, but, but in many large organizations, there is a, a friction between the sales and the marketing in terms of what is the right material to use in that presentation. And the ironic thing here is that those companies spend vast sums of money getting their brand and their message out there. But as soon as there's an opportunity for a salesperson to get in front of a, a potential audience, the amount of money, whether it's dollars or time that's spent on creating that presentation is usually so, so, so small. And that means that everything that's gone into investing to get that salesperson in front of the audience at that time is really left to something which may have been put together by an assistant or a technical person who may not have understood the objectives, and the content that's required to be used in that meeting. So I I don't think it's resistance to change. What I find certainly at Presentify Ourselves doing is evangelizing around the obvious and why things aren't working for companies today. So we're really trying to re-educate to get help or help those companies to understand what they can do um, so that they can then build on that to make sure that that presentation is gonna achieve the objectives.
0: Yep, and Nathan, there's two best practices as well that um, I'd like to just chat about real quickly. One is we've got the concept of uh, vignettes, right? Mm -hmm. Break these big monolithic decks that are 150 pages long. And salespeople spend you know, five, six, eight hours a week sometimes when they're given a DEX that big, just piecing together what they need to present. Instead, think of your decks as little mini stories mm-hmm. and publish those mini stories into an enablement platform that lets the sellers dynamically assemble from those little stories to create a big story and customize it for that client. And then that gives them the ability to pivot Um, or to escape and go into that other story, depending on the needs, the challenges, the use cases that are being presented. So instead of thinking of a big monolithic deck and having to publish that, and being slow because it's 150 pages that marketing has to produce and get out there, and instead of the burden of all of the the work of parsing it and and customizing it and putting it together, if the team just thought in terms of little stories that could be told based on a situation, I think that immediately changes the entire mindset of the marketing team. And then the other thing that I've seen that's worked really well is create a very rich and thorough icon or picture language library. Mm-hmm. I, as a marketer, if I'm given that, or I, as a product person, or I, as a salesperson, could then customize and build slides for customers where I might use. of the slides that are provided to me, but then I've got to customize another 20% maybe for that particular meeting. And instead of using PowerPoint, where it provides me with text and maybe a standard icon library that's not going to be brand correct, if you give me the capability of this icon library, um, of this visual pictograph kind of um, approved language that I can use, then I can grab from there and create. Still brand compliant, but create custom content that'll be personalized. Comments on those two. So we have vignettes and then kind of a visual library.
1: Sure. So very much the approach we try to work with our clients and facilitate is the bigger story. Think of it like a a book and chapters of the book. So those smaller stories really are what we relate to as chapters. (laughs) And I think a lot of those are... Anecdotes. Remember that a presentation is two-way. At least it should be. (laughs) And so therefore, um, again, referring to the conventional old decks of of 150 plus slides, you've really got a repository of everything that's probably ever been thought of and created in that deck. But it's never been thought of as a story from the beginning to an end. (laughs) It's just that repository. Here we've got it. So there's whatever potential situation that someone is in, we've got some content that you can use to, to put up on, on, on screen. And so by breaking it into first a common and consistent story with the chapters, the nice thing is, is that as long as you've got a story, you don't necessarily have to start at the beginning of the story. There's many instances where you can start in the middle. And if we think mm-hmm. of that as in films, we enter the story in the middle of it. And then the first part of the film, we're trying to work out well, well, what's happened and, and what's happening. And that is sometimes a very good thing. So by having those vignettes, by having the smaller elements of information and anecdotes that you can have as a conversation. So you ask a question, you get an answer. That answer may help you move into a story. And pretty much, if we think about real life, we have to come up with stories, or we use stories a lot to help put a point across. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, breaking up information that's available is, is um, really I- important. Um, and... Um, and then talk to the visual
0: library and the, and the concept library. there. I know yeah. that that empowered me incredibly to, to be creative, um, and still be brand correct
1: yeah and this is important because again I said that the, we have to make sure that what we're doing is getting the two main teams working together for the common objective sales and marketing and so by having more of a, a, a set of creative tools visual tools which you can then use um, and then build stories and presentations around that can be really compelling as well because not every story needs to be told or has to be told or should be told in the same way. And having a framework that allows the presenter to be able to use those visuals, those support tools, those additional assets, um, as they're required in the conversation to move it along in the right direction, they can be really powerful. And having the ability to customize based on the audience in front of you, um, so you can bring in elements of what's really going to resonate and connect with that audience, again, is really powerful. Um, it's a great way to show empathy with regards to your audience and give examples of how you've been able to solve similar problems for others so that the audience really gets that, that feeling that you understand intimately their challenges and how you can address them.
0: So I want to uh go over a little study with you. There was a Microsoft study and in this study, they looked at attention spans of people and they they did it historically. So several years ago, and actually this is almost a decade ago, they measured attention spans of different users. And they found that about 12 seconds was the the kind of norm for attention, Mm -hmm. the time that you had to grab someone's attention. Because of cell phones, the world we live in and information overload, that has now dropped to only eight seconds. That's less than the attention span of a goldfish. Now don't ask me how they <laughs> measured the attention span of a goldfish, but but that's the kind of word, that, word out there is that we now have the attention span that is less than that of a goldfish. Um, how do you leverage visuals to grab someone's attention? And and this is very important now with remote meetings, right? If you don't grab someone's attention right away, they've got another window open. They're doing their email. um, You're talking through a normal PowerPoint in a meeting. And meanwhile, you know, 90% of the audience is already checked out and they're multitasking and doing something else. So how do you use visuals to help grab the buyer's attention and keep it
1: so of course we know the phrase, a picture paints a thousand words, it, it is so true. And by looking at and considering what you can use in terms of representing the story of, or the certainly the audio aspect of a story, you can understand what sort of images can really hit home with the audience. One of the aspects which we do is we, t- we take a six stage approach um, to helping a- our clients in a-, a process to help figure out what sort of uh, visual aids can be used in the, the work s- so as to grab the attention. So our approach, um, we start with the objectives, what's the purpose and what do you want to achieve? Then we move on to understanding the audience, which is, of course, critical. You know, who are they? What are their roles, the challenges they face? Importantly, if, how will your value proposition be of benefit to them? And how can you demonstrate the credibility that you have? Mm-hmm. We consider the format of the presentation. Is it being presented or is the viewer watching at their convenience? Because, again, that's going to have an influence on what sort of visuals you have to get the right impact. Mm-hmm. Um It's then going to have a compelling narrative that's going to engage with the audience or the viewer and, of course, a strong call to action or close. So we need to really dig and drill into those areas with the client to find out. And from this, we use all of that information to develop the creative design of the project then to address the communication objectives. So for us, it's really important that clients do think about all of those aspects, because if you look at it in isolation, it's highly likely that you're going to not really understand what sort of image or images. And it doesn't just mean pictures. It also means of how you can bring a process to life. So for example, we have all seen multiple slides of a graphic that tries to describe maybe a process flow, for example. Mm-hmm. And really, they're complex to follow. What we would try and suggest is, can we change that? Whilst the process is important, maybe, can we change it in a way where we can illustrate it by putting the audience into it? Can we take them on that customer journey? Can we demonstrate what this process is means in a visual way and that's where people start to ask questions because they're not frightened of being coming across as not being able to understand this complex diagram (laughs) it draws people in and again that's what we're trying to do have the meaningful conversation about it so simplifying something which is complex is is key and a great way to simplify it is to, as I ask this, the stupid questions as I call it, but you know, I still don't understand. So tell me again and then confirm it back. So by really getting into the detail, we can then help the clients with coming up with the right visuals to help address that particular part of the communication
0: so certain images i know have been studied at being more effective than others and i'll I'll just walk through each one of these with you so talk a little bit about the use of instead of a complex image simplifying that to kind of almost iconography almost hand drawings or cave-like drawings i've seen some neuroscience research that points to the fact that those more cave, caveman type drawings mm-hmm. are much more better than complex images and photographs. Any, any opinion or insights on that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I think that where we are in life now, um, we've evolved to understanding on a global scale, certain images. If You think of icons in terms of <laughs> going, showing my age now, but going back, but you think of a triangle um, when it comes to audio or visual, and it's it's predominantly, it looks like a, a play button then. Um, the same with the mm-hmm. sort of like just using um, the uh, two lines in uh, a vertical position representing pause. So I think that um, globally we have evolved over years to understand that certain icons represent certain actions. And so you go back to you know, the, the days when stories were told and passed down through the very primitive drawings, but it was a great way to tell stories because <laughs> they didn't have written word. So the images had to represent a story. <laughs> and, and, and that's really, again, you know, how our minds really work. So you know, 90% of the information transmitted to our brain is, is visual. And if we remember that or think about that, then that shows how important the visualization is when it comes to communication. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's thinking we, we have icons today that represent things like um, um, bathrooms, to use uh, the, the, certainly the, the US um, typical term for it. Um, cloak rooms toilets <laughs> washrooms etc but those represent a global understanding with typically the way that, that that they engage with people we don't have language barriers very often when it comes to those sort of symbols signs or icons mm-hmm. and so coming up with a way to to use images which people can easily connect with and they understand the meaning of means that when used they can simplify something which is usually overcomplicated by ourselves in the first place. So going back to simplicity is a great way of making sure that the communication will be understood. Absolutely. What about
0: people and the use of people as visuals? Any tips there? I, I know I've seen research where uh, babies, which is why you'll see babies in a lot of advertisement. I can remember back uh, when E Trade used to use a, a baby in a lot of their big Super Bowl ads and other stuff as a way to attract attention and people.
1: So, so again, the the nice thing about about um, images and perhaps photographic or video images is they tend to be in our minds for or from a particular experience and they evoke uh, a particular uh, result uh, attitude thought process in people's minds and that may open them up or close them down based on what you're using and so again the imagery that you use you have to consider very carefully in order to ensure that you're evoking the right type of response. Um, of course, when you use babies and uh, think on a, on, a, on a large scale, whether it's on a video, on a large screen or something in a, a sports arena, it, it, it's, that it's not what is expected by the audience to be seen, mm-hmm. therefore it draws their attention to it. And it could be abstract. I mean, yes, why, could, why wouldn't you have something really abstract in a story or a presentation to really grab attention of the audience. Um, you know, a very basic tool which we talk about, and again, it amazes me how many people don't know this, but if you were using PowerPoint, for example, uh, a great way to suddenly grab people's attention is to press the W key on the keyboard, which is turns the screen white or B <laughs> for black. And okay, you know, just those two simple letters allow you to suddenly shut off what image was on screen, which could have been anything, but the the audience attention is grabbed because they are hit with either darkness or brightness. (laughs) And so just by doing something as simple as that is a great way to grab attention. So as you say, images can really call upon someone to uh, evoke that emotion. And so it's choosing the right type of image, photo, drawing that's going to potentially shock or certainly, most importantly, engage to get the attention of the audience.
0: Absolutely. And that's what we're talking about, right? Stimulating that R-complex, the reptilian brain, as it's sometimes called, to kind of grab that attention. And one of the big ways to do that is instilling fear, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt is one of the, the best ways to kind of grab someone's attention and make sure they are paying attention, evaluating whether that danger is real to them or not, and then uh, acting upon it. And it also helps with remembering as well. They've done studies where if you're able to instill uh, fear, get um, cortisol uh, released, that that cortisol release will actually help to remember that particular moment. But there's a danger in that too, right? If all we're doing is stimulating the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the, the prospect or buyer or in the meeting that we're in, uh, that can have potential downside consequences. So how how do you embody that, perhaps the fear, uncertainty, doubt in a presentation? And how do you make sure that it's not abused or
1: overused? So I think There's a couple of approaches with that, one of which is using contrast um, in terms of testing how people can react to things. So when you are developing that communication uh, asset, then the the testing out in, in terms of small testing to different markets will give you some feedback really with regards to how it's received. And if you are using a more psychological type of approach, but you want to do it in a in a sensitive way which you know we, we're sort of touching on ethical or moral understandings considerations to some extent but we all do realize that it is about evoking uh, an emotion in in the process <laughs> um, whether it is peace of mind whether it's security you know if you it's a case of saying if we understand your challenges and if 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 we can help you uh, avoid the potential consequences of, of you not failing as such. So giving them the confidence that this is the right decision and being able to uh, provide that in a credible way, then, then that's it. Using that, that testing is a great way to do it. Um, I, I, for me, I think, um, it, it, again, it's that there's so many aspects to the psychological aspect of, of both selling and, and buying mm-hmm. um, that can come into uh, the way that a presenter shares and communicates with an audience. And, and this is great. There's some you know, fantastic research out there in terms of uh, political leaders and co- corporate leaders who have used different approaches to different um, levels of success and different reasons. So if one is interested in finding out more about that, then there's some, there's some great reference points uh, out, uh, out on, on, online to, to uh, certainly get, get more specific about.
0: Absolutely, and then there's so many lookalike solutions out there, vendors often have a hard time differentiating themselves from the competition. One way to do that, obviously, is with, with visuals. And in particular, you mentioned one in contrast. Um, do you want to talk to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think that um, it, there's in it many different experiences. And, and, and for me, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about an experience that, that I have. I, of course, am a, a visual person. So I can picture images in my mind fairly easily, but when an, uh, I'll give you an example and an anecdote here, but when an architect, we engaged an architect to um, put some plans together some years ago for a project. And it was very interesting where the architect then explained what that would be, what their vision was. And I could get it, I could picture it very easily, Not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, yet my wife struggled because she said, well, I, I don't get it. Uh, and, you know, there's me saying, well, what don't you get because I can see it quite easily mm-hmm. and appreciating then that, that we're all individuals and we have different ways of doing it. So I think sometimes with regards to, as you say, to making a decision, it's great if you can demonstrate the, you know, sort of like um, what, what something was and then what something will be like to help the decision process. Because if you can give that experience to the audience, they can try something or see something, experience something, before they actually go through that commitment. But you can give them the confidence that this is what, what will be the benefit after. Um, that's really powerful. So for example, we do help with simulated apps. So therefore, a company may have an idea to add a piece of functionality to a piece of software that they've got, but they don't want to necessarily develop it without being able to get some feedback. So what we do is we look at the design of the particular um, uh, content, the, the, the user interface, and uh, we'll have perhaps screenshots or just mock those up and then we'll animate the transitions. So yes, this is someone putting in the the keystrokes of the username and the password, for example. (laughs) So we can create a simulation to show the audience what something, what that experience would be. And that is a great way, a very valuable way of being able to contrast and showing what is today and what will be tomorrow to help give that confidence um, of differentiation, why you should choose in favor of this because this is the benefits you'll get from that experience. So for us, as part of what we're trying to to help our our clients put in a visual way, it is also wherever possible, trying to give their audience uh, as best a view of what the experience or the benefits from as is to what will be in what they conveyed to them visually. Absolutely.
0: So storytelling, we mentioned it a little bit earlier, and there was a study conducted where a, a person was a listener and a person was a speaker. And the speaker was given just a regular presentation and uh, they mapped the brains of the storyteller and the brains of the, uh, of the listener in an MRI machine and uh, in real time and when the speaker was just presenting a normal presentation, uh, was not telling a story, they looked at the brain of the speaker and the listener, and their brains were completely different. Lo and behold, when they gave a story to the speaker to convey, um, the listener's brain matched region for region with the speaker uh, throughout the story with about a two or a three second delay. Uh, talk about um, brain control, mind control, and, uh, <laughs> and certainly uh, evoking empathy by kind of having the brains map in semi real time. Uh, I was just amazed by that study. So we know that storytelling, even though it may be kind of the rage buzzword right now, it has a power, right? And visual storytelling in particularly has a power. Um, why do you think it works so well and and kind of what are your tips to creating a great story
1: so i think we've touched on a couple of points um that would help address this tom already so we go back you know many many years ago and before we had a language that we could speak we had to communicate and the way that we've seen the old drawings on cave walls was the manifestation of communication and telling a story. So I think that it just goes to show that when we had very little understanding in education, what we still figured out was a way to communicate through visuals. And I don't think that um, as we've evolved, we've lost that. It's (laughs) been perhaps more confused by considerations of changing the emphasis from from images to the written word. But while this um, inverted commas storytelling seems to be all the rage at the moment, um, I just feel that it's, it's something which many have been using for a long time, where now it's got the label of storytelling uh, mm-hmm. because it's being used more. So personally, I don't feel that this is something new. It's very old. Mm-hmm. I think there's a realization of the power, as you said, of the, uh, the power over the mind of what you can do when you tell a story in a very compelling way. And when you do combine the visual aspects to the story, it really does um, a, a drive into the, and connect with the emotions of, of, of the audience. Um, in terms of um, you know, the, the tips on it, for me, in order for it to be successful, uh, I think yeah, if I listen to audio books, the voice of the narrator, I think is is really important. If you've got a great storyteller, a great narrator, they can bring that story to life. Mm-hmm. And you could take the same set of words and give it to someone else. And they would really, so like kill that story. <laughs> so it, it really comes back to, um, thinking about what, how one's voice needs to be um, both in presentation um, and telling the story, as well as if you've got a visual aspect to it, both have got to really be sincere so that it connects. If you don't have that that sincerity, that belief in it, then I think you you don't, you don't send that the words out in a positive way that draws in the audience. So, yeah, It's not just about the narrative, it's about how you share that narrative, how you really how you convey that narrative, absolutely. Yep.
0: And that authenticity is so important in that. I also find that there is a shape that the story needs to have. Uh, We spoke about that a little bit earlier. Uh, There are different uh, shapes, like Freytag's triangle is kind of the simplest storytelling method. Uh, But there are are many other uh, storytelling uh, shapes. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut had a great piece, the the old fiction writer, um, one of my favorite authors. had master classes on uh, shapes of stories mm-hmm. and how to kind of form them. So there's plenty of information out there on the different shapes that you can have for the story. I also think a, a good story always has a hero or a heroine. Um, when you think of the classic Disney movies like uh, Beauty and the Beast and and Belle um, and the, the hero's uh, kind of journey that she takes, um, there's a great... Um, method to put your audience as the hero in the stories that you're gonna tell as a business person. And I think that's important. You're not the hero, they are the heroes. And I think that's important to remember. And then this gets to authenticity. I think one of the other three key elements is a purpose or a mission. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we think of the best stories, uh, you know, it's a good versus evil story, or it's a discovery and journey story. And I think that we can't forget the why we're there which I think is gets to that authenticity and uh, conveying that uh, truth in the overall message. So shape, hero, and purpose and mission—that mm-hmm. authenticity—I think are, are the three that I, that I would highlight to go along with yours in terms of making sure that it's the story not just has pictures but has a good, compelling, enthusiastic, and authentic voice. Um, we covered a ton of ground, and we know that digital selling and and uh, requires great visuals so it was great to have you as a guest Nathan I think Thank really you. timely with that what is the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our evolvers with today
1: um so for me I think um, to uh, restate a set of words which you said just now Tom really which is that um a presentation of stories is, is really all about the audience and it's not about the vendor as such. So having the opportunity to do a presentation really comes from all the time and the money that the company's invested in to get the salesperson in front of the audience. Okay. But equally, the audience have agreed to invest their time in front of you. So make sure that you don't waste that opportunity. Make sure you take the necessary approach and preparation to use a set of visual tools that reflect Mm -hmm. that, Authenticity and integrity, and most importantly, that supports you in achieving the desired results.
0: Absolutely. Nathan, how can folks find and reach you online?
1: Um, online, um, best ways by email, which is nathanpresentify.co.uk, and of course, um, via LinkedIn.
0: And we will include your LinkedIn address as part of the description. Nathan, Nathan Jackson great to talk to you today about visuals visual presentation and um, how important it is to remember your audience and make sure that you're valuing their time by preparing and getting those visual presentations right thank you again